you're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ikena Okeke of the Father's Church. Please join Pastor Ikena Okeke and be blessed. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay, greetings everyone. We thank God for his mercies that is abounding, continually abounding towards us. And we know that for every new day, there shall be new mercies in the name of Jesus. The beauty of the Lord is that his mercy never, never runs out. They keep abounding and abounding and abounding. So whatever the situation may be with you, wherever you are now, you can be sure that his mercy will reach you. And the mercy that will reach you will be more than your circumstance and your situation in the name of Jesus. Okay, um, last Sunday, uh, the last meeting, we began to look, or rather we continued to look at the sermon that uh, Peter, or what happened at Pentecost. And we learned that they spoke in new tongues, and then the people marveled that they were declaring the wonderful works of God in their individual of various or varying languages, tongues. And then when the people were about to be distracted by those who said they were full of new wine, Peter cut them short and said, Listen, these men that you're looking at are not full of any new wine. Rather, this is a fulfillment of prophecy that it shall come to pass from Acts 2 verse 17. Shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. He went on and he said, my, On my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. He said, I will show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. He went on and on, and verse 21 says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise the Lord. So, but on Sunday we looked and we said that the conclusion of the sermon, which we would call, we could call the first sermon energized and empowered by the Holy Ghost. That sermon was about Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Verse 36 says, Therefore, which is the conclusion, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, that God has made this Jesus. Remember a couple of weeks back, we said the assignment that has been given to us is not a mean assignment. That we're supposed to be witnesses to the world that Jesus is God. Praise the Lord. We're also to be witnesses to the world that Jesus who was crucified, is alive. Hallelujah. And that this Jesus who is alive is seated at the throne, at the right hand of the throne in heaven, and is also living inside of us. So we see this being reemphasized here, that Peter said to them, know that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Hallelujah. And then the next verse says, when the head is, they were caught to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And we pick something here before we leave it. 
that a good, a, a Holy Spirit empowered message, sermon, exhortation, or whatever, must have certain qualities. Number one is that it must point men to Jesus. Praise the Lord. It must point men to Jesus. He says, therefore, let it be known that this Jesus, it wasn't the Peter the preacher, so it's not about the preacher. It was not about the bishop. And it didn't also point men to a handkerchief or anointing oil or to the altar where they needed to come and touch or do something. It pointed to Jesus. The second thing we see about this first Holy Spirit-inspired sermon is that it caught men to their heart. It was not motivational speaking. Whenever the word of God comes, like the song we sang, it says, God looks beyond the sounds that we make when we sing. He looks into the heart. The truth is that the Bible says the deep communicates with the deep. So when the Spirit of God comes, he also speaks to the hearts of men. Praise God. So these men were caught to the heart. And then why is it necessary that they are caught to the heart? Is that they ask the question. They ask, what shall we do? So if I come and I listen to a sermon and it does not provoke a change in me, it has been the work, it has achieved nothing more than a lullaby. It has, you know, made a good passage of time, but it has not brought transformation. I pray that the word we are listening to, you're hearing and I'm hearing as well, will bring transformation in my life in Jesus' name. The third thing we also see there, very importantly, is that this message said to them, repent. The word repent simply means change. And it says, repent of your sins. Be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So many things there. But basically one. Why? Because the intention of God, when our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and returned to his throne, he made a promise to to the disciples that he is going to receive of the promise of the Father and send to them. So every time you also listen to the word of God, be assured that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you his Holy Spirit. So you are sure or you come hungry, be assured that you will live with more of the Holy Ghost than before you came. Provided there is provision in your heart in the name of Jesus. That's why they were told, repent of your sins. Because the Holy Ghost cannot take the same place where sin has occupied. So sin needs to go and then the Spirit of God will come and fill it. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray someone will receive that as well in the name of Jesus. A fresh feeling. If you already had the Holy Ghost, you never had before a fresh feeling. Then the part, the last part that we see from this message is that verse 40 said to them, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying what? Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. Why this is interesting is that the three things were noted before somehow were things that were done for us. They were things we received. But when he came to this verse 40, he said to them, now based on all this that have happened, you need to be saved. You need to withdraw from this perverse generation. And we take this and we continue with what some of other things we looked at on Sunday. We noted on Sunday in Exodus chapter 11, when we are looking at the Passover, that verse 6 said, there will be a great cry in the land of Egypt. There's going to be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. That was what was going to happen in all the land of Egypt. 
But now look at verse 7. Verse 7 said, But against none of the children of Israel shall what? A dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes what? A difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Very important. 6 says, All the land of Egypt will be crying out in pain, in anguish. But it says the children of Israel, it says nothing like that will happen. So we begin to see why it is of essence and important that the child of God understands verse 40 of Acts chapter 2. Be saved from this perverse generation. The moment somebody is born again, he becomes a citizen of heaven. And what that means is that he becomes a foreigner to this world system. These are some of the foundational things that we as children of God must lay hold of to make this our journey sweet and make it profitable. He said to the children of Israel, I'm going to make a difference. Now we'll learn on Sunday, I don't have to go back to it. By Exodus chapter 12, how did he make the difference? There was something they were to do. They were to put the blood on their doorposts and on the lintel, and then they were to stay in the house. With that combination, whatever was happening in the land of Egypt could not come close to them. The same way in our time, there are instructions, there are words, there are things that God says to us to do so that he can rightfully and justifiably make a difference. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone, in, everyone born into this world, even the infant that is born, has come in with the nature of sin. But God has made a provision that through the blood of Jesus Christ, every judgment, every righteous requirement, everything that is required as punishment against sin is expired on the cross. So by virtue of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, God has made a provision so that his justice and his mercy can meet and love can be meted out to mankind. So the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but what? But have everlasting life. So we see this having taken place so that God now can love and God can receive, God can welcome without being unjust because he has made the provision through the Lord Jesus Christ so that the blood washes sins away. But if this blood is not taken, if this blood is not applied, if this blood is not used, then there is nothing God can do. Some preacher has said, and I agree wholeheartedly, that people are not in hell because they sinned. Why? Because most everyone who is going to go to heaven as a human being, as a man, when he dies, or with the rapture, also has sinned. So what is the critical difference between those that are in hell and those that are in heaven? Those that are in heaven have taken advantage of the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and have soaked themselves and washed themselves in that blood and then they became righteous according to God's standard. So that is what happens. Now, today we are looking at being saved from this perverse generation. Why? Because once this thing happens, you can't also now behave anyhow. We noticed in Exodus chapter 12 that we looked at on Sunday that the very night of the Passover, the Lord said to them that everywhere I see the blood, I, Jehovah, am going to stand across the door and make sure that the angel of death does not enter that house. So you see what is happening here. God says, I am going to see the blood on your doorpost and on your lintel. And when I see the blood, I will block the door. 
Now, God did not say any house that has the blood on it. All the inhabitants, no matter where they are in Egypt, they'll be saved. No, he said you have to stay inside the house. Now, who knows what that night was about in Egypt? But it's very possible that in the land of Egypt on that very night, the children of Israel, Egypt were having a bonfire or some meeting or something. So they'll be moving around. Probably they'll beckon on those who had friends in amongst the children of Israel. Won't you come and join me? Won't you come along with me? But the children of Israel will say, I'm going nowhere tonight because something is about to happen and I don't want to be exposed. So on that very night, everyone who was inside the house and who had the blood on their doorposts were in complete safety in spite of what was happening in their immediate environment. Praise the Lord, somebody. Now, with that understanding, we're still moving on. Why are we looking at this? Because after we read the scripture on Sunday, I became concerned for my generation. I became concerned for me and yourself as well. That there's, I became concerned at all the similarity that exists in our world between so-called believers and unbelievers. There's just too much similarity. You can't tell the difference. The only way you're probably able to tell the difference in most cases is when the believer makes a verbal statement to you. So the person says, I am born again. They say, okay, so you're born again. Okay, which is wonderful because the Bible says we believe with our heart and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But don't forget also that our Lord Jesus Christ made a statement which he says, by their fruits you shall know them. What am I trying to say? The statement that we have in Acts from that first sermon says, be saved from this perverse generation. It's very important we consider it. Uh, uh, the apostle Paul, sorry, Peter, by the Holy Ghost, was saying, when you get born again, there has to be something about you and your immediate world. This is what the apostle John was taking further when he began to say to you and I, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. For if any man loves the world or the things that are in the world, what is going to happen? It says the love of the Father will not be in him. That is 1 John 2.15 and 2.17. If any man loves the world, 1 John 2.15-17. If any man loves the world, it says the love of the Father will not be in him. Many of us are acquainted with the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah captures what we are talking about. Even though Lot was in disobedience in going to relocate, you know, his family to Sodom and Gomorrah because he saw the beautiful, you know, grass and all of that. When he stayed amongst them and God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, the mercy of God reached out and sent angels to bring Lot and his family out. You know what the instruction was? Very simple. When you come out of Sodom and Gomorrah and you're making this journey out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, do not what? Look back. Now, you know what happened? Lot made it out. His wife made it out. His two daughters made it out. The in-laws did not make it. But as they were making that journey, I don't know what it was that Lot's wife left in Sodom. Maybe her house, maybe her trinkets, maybe, I don't know what she forgot, but she turned her eyes to behold, maybe for one last time, Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And you know what happened? She turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Because there was some attraction. There was some affinity in her heart. She had been saved, but she did not make it to safety. That will not be your portion and my portion in the name of Jesus. What did I say? I said my concern is that the similarity that exists between believers and unbelievers in our time is too much. Even the messages will pass. Let me tell you the the simple truth. The simple truth is if you believe this gospel and you believe every story, every example that is given us in this Bible, then you would know that what is good news is never good news to both Christians, believers and unbelievers. Let me use that word. Why? Because rapture is good news for us, isn't it? The end of the age is good news for us, isn't it? In in fact, in some sense, the judgment of God is good news because the judgment of God is against the wicked and for the vindication of the righteous. Now, all those things that are good news for the believers, they are not good news to the unbelievers. What am I trying to say? We need to make sure that in this area we are very safe because we are living in very dangerous times. Just like we noted that the very night of Passover in Egypt was Good news to the children of Israel. It was the night of their liberation. But for the Egyptians, what was it? It was the night that they lost their savings, that they are saved over time. It was the night that they lost their slaves. It was the night that they lost their firstborn sons. It was a night of wailing and weeping. What am I saying? If, even in the present situation now, the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting the believer the same way it's affecting the unbeliever, and our responses are the same, then we need to re-examine ourselves. We need to go deeper and ask why. What is going on? Why should we be responding the same way? Why should we be feeling the same way? Why should it be affecting us the same way? Why? Because we were told that we should be brought out. We should be saved from this perverse generation. Praise the Lord, somebody. So we, we, we look at what does it mean? What is the Bible calling us to? He's saying here that we have to be different. The moment you become a born again Christian, you are supposed to be completely different. We, the Bible says, he that is in Christ is a new creation. All things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, this is what it is, and that is what it must be for every other thing to fall in place. We don't become born again and then we are looking back to the world. If you would open with me 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll read verse 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. King James will say, his peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are a peculiar people. And verse 10 says, this is a bit of our background. It says, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who once had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is what is describing us. This is who the Christian is. These people are different now. They are chosen out. Our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to us even made it more, 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 more deliberate. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have what? Chosen you. And I didn't just choose you and leave you hanging. He says, I have ordained you. 
that you may bear fruits, fruits that will last. So every born-again Christian is an ordained man or woman in a sense. Why? Because God handpicked you. Now, with that handpicking, your life, you, sh- you could not, you cannot, you must not permit that you will blend in the crowd, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, and nobody knows that you're different. That will be contrary to what we are told. He said we should be saved from this perverse generation. Maybe I need to you know, t- talk about what being different is a bit. And then I'll talk about what being perverse is. The, the, the difference is the state of being unlike others. It's a state of dissimilarity. It's a state where you have distinguishing features. You know, I, 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 let, let me refer to this in this time now. Let, let me tell you what it is. If you're an employer, what we are saying is this. In this time where it is reasonable, if because of the COVID-19 pandemic, people will not pay salaries because the staff did not work. If you're a born-again Christian, this difference we're talking about means that if you have the resources and God had hitherto enabled you to accumulate enough profit or comfort in terms of finances to accommodate paying these people these salaries, then you should pay them even though your contemporaries are not paying. Why? Because you are simply different. You are a chosen generation. You are a peculiar person. It may not make business sense because banks, I mean, the, the highest profit-making organization in Nigeria is the banks, you know, that laying up people and are refusing to pay. But you now, as a Christian... Is your call to be different. So you don't do things based on what the world around you is doing. You take your signal. Why? Because the passage we read in First Peter 2 says you are a royal priesthood. It means you're representing somebody. It means you will act in the way that the one you're representing. A priest carries out instructions that are in conformity with the pre-agreed arrangement between him and the God that is serving. So this God that we are serving says you should love like yourself. Love others as you love yourself. So this God is saying if you were the employee, how would you want to be treated by an employer? That is what should guide you, not what is in your environment. That's still just talking about the distinguishing feature, variance, disparity. And it also talks about significant change. It means the born-again Christian, you, you must know you change. The things you used to do before, you cannot continue doing them. It's not possible. If you're doing that, as we're going to find out as we go, there's a problem. Because Lot's wife, even though she had gone in to Sodom and was delivered out of Sodom, something about her wanted to continue with Sodom and she could not enjoy the deliverance, the salvation that God brought. You will not miss your deliverance in the name of Jesus Christ. So, so what are we saying? This difference is a call. In the land of Egypt, God made a difference. But you could see like we learned on Sunday, that difference, because everything God will do with man would involve faith. Anything God does with man that does not involve faith, you should be asking questions to be sure that somebody is not deceiving you. God, from the time he dealt with Abraham, required that Abraham would believe him. So the Bible says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. Can you imagine talking to a 75-year-old man that has lived in a particular village, locality, for his whole life. And say to him, get out of your family, out of your contract, of your kindred, to a land that will show you. Abba, that's too much now. I can understand asking me to relocate. But don't ask me to relocate from where I know. 
to where you're not even telling me. How am I sure you know where you're asking me to go? But you see, that's what God requires, that he that comes to him must believe what? That he is and he's what? A rewarder. So Abraham must have started on that journey. And when the people are, who were traveling with him, everybody will be asking, where are you going? This person says, I'm going to Sokoto. This person says, I'm going to Shagamu. This person says, I'm going to Zam, you know, whatever. They'll ask Abraham, Abraham, where are you going to? Abraham will say, well, I'm going to somewhere. My God will tell me. You can imagine that. They will probably laugh at him and mock him. But that was what it made it took to be different. You stay in an environment and you are responding to God in spite of what the people around you are saying or doing. Praise the Lord. So we have taken that just to understand a bit of the difference. But let's also look at the word perverse. Because those are the places we are to be saved from. So this, the word of God says, our generation is perverse. How many of us believers believe that our generation is perverse? If you don't believe that, I can understand with you. Because we are already in this world and we are accustomed to it and we are used to it. But let's take a a practical uh, um, uh, uh, approach to it and look at it now. You look at a world where we, we, we have the challenge that we have now, the problems that we have now, and right even in, in, in Zamfara, is it Zamfara or Taraba, people are still, bandits are still going, killing people with all the evil that is in the world. People are still cheating. People are still doing all kinds of things. And you're wondering, are these people concerned about their lives? Isn't there a consciousness that something about this world, something is really wrong? 419 people are still doing 419 in the midst of the difficulties that everybody is experiencing. People are still looking for ways to obtain their fellow sufferers in this whole thing. You, you imagine what is going on, but he said the world is perverse. Let me t- give you a bit of an, a, a description of what perverseness means. It, it says to be inexplicably irrational. So the Bible is saying that this generation that we belong to, is inexplicably irrational. It says it, is, it, it behaves contrary to what is regarded as normal. That's how this generation is being described by the Bible. Contrary to what is regarded as normal or reasonable. It says often for reasons that seem unaccountable or self-defeating. Can you imagine that? So the, the world that we look at, the schools that we send our children to, the, the places we go for, all the places we are looking at, going to. The, the Bible is saying these people are irrational. Why is it irrational? Let me tell you again why it is. Now, COVID-19 is here and it's creating a lot of panic. Rightfully. I mean, because a lot of families have lost loved ones. A lot of people have suffered, you know, from this uh, disease. And we, we pray that, you know, the healing power of God will flow and heal in the name of Jesus. But you see, with all that he's doing, you should think that man will be humbled and begin to ask themselves, what is the meaning of this life? If for some reason, some invisible, you know, uh, uh, organism called, you know, uh, coronavirus could come and obstruct everything we're doing. I, I thought it should create a general outcry. For God amongst men and women. But you you see, you don't sense it doing that. Why? Because the world is irrational. They they, they don't reason. They don't reason properly. They they think they reason well, but they don't reason properly. Why? Because that is where they are. They are in darkness. If you turned off the light where you are watching me now, and you needed to find something, maybe a piece of paper that you wrote something on. 
on your table, you would agree with me that you will mess up a lot of things before you get it. You will be acting almost irrationally. Why? Because you can't see. Now, the same way is what it is. In the world, these people in the world cannot see well. So they make wrong judgments. Some people under this pandemic now, they can't wait for it to be lifted so that they can go back to watch, you know, their soccer games on Sunday, to miss service, you know, to leave home. They're missing their drinking parlors and all kinds of things. And you're wondering, haven't you learned any lesson? They can't learn a lesson because it is an inexplicably irrational generation. They are not thinking well. They are not planning well. They, they don't know. Another word that captures it, it says, stubbornly unreasonable. Stubbornly unreasonable, deliberately or doggedly behaving in a way that seems contrary to good sense or your best interest or your own best interest. This, this is very key because you see, we, we look at our world and, and we, we, we are carried away with the way people appear. We are carried away that people went to school and schools and are doctors, are professors, are engineers and are lawyers. And when they say things, we give them credit that they must know what they're saying, that they must have a reason what they're saying. But you now also wonder, in this world, even with this COVID-19 pandemic, planes are not flying, airports are shut, businesses are shut. Why? Because some virus causes a disease that could lead to death. Percentage of death is about 2% or so or less. Now, this same life that we are living in, everybody who is in this life has father, grandfather, great uncle, great grandfather who has lived and died. These people have not asked themselves, what is the provision that I have for myself against this death that will surely come? The Bible says it is appointed unto man wants to die and thereafter what? Judgment. What This generation, have they thought, okay, in this whole thing that is happening, how am I prepared? Am I ready? Do I have the vaccine? sin for death? Am I immune so that whenever this happens, I can, you know, take it in stride? But no, everybody keeps pushing it away, pushing it away. I, I read about an account of one, some wealthy man, I think it was in Portugal or Spain, who was dying, you know, under this COVID-19, you know, uh, pandemic. And, and the man was a very wealthy man, I think a millionaire or something like that. And the daughter wrote in this account where she wrote, she said all the money they had could not provide the next oxygen that will keep the father alive. And in gasping for oxygen, the father passed on. And he said, what's the, what, uh, what's the meaning of all this wealth if it cannot extend life? That should provoke thinking. What am I trying to say? A world that is not conscious of the hereafter, cannot be presumed to know what he's doing. A world that is carried away with what, you know, with, with, with the things that are fleeting. The Bible says of uh, 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 Moses, it says Moses chose to suffer afflictions with the children of Israel rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of Egypt. A world that exhausts passing pleasures. In fact, the truth is this. Everybody who's listening to me now, if you still, you're, 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 you're being so irrational. Because you see, whatsoever man doeth, what, what shall happen? Same also he shall reap. If you're a fornicator, then you're irrational. If you're, if you're a dupe, whatever it is you do, that is contrary to right. You are being irrational. Why? Because you're imagining that you would do wrong in a world that you did not create. And the owner of the world will not hold you to account. Nobody does that. It reminds me of the experience of quite a few people. Some of them might be watching me now. In the UK, you see, in Nigeria, if you beat the traffic light and you're able to beat it, 
and get home. You have beat the traffic light. You're free. If you're able to beat it and get to where even nobody can prove you beat it, you're actually almost free. But you see, there are cases where people have beat traffic lights traffic light, in the UK and in most advanced countries. And two months after, six weeks after, five weeks after, they get a mail in their box with a picture of their, of, their, of their plate number and the particular time when they beat it. What has happened is that these people did not beat the traffic light. They were caught in breaking the law. And the consequences meet with them. Now, what has happened is it's simple. Because of that understanding, people there consciously don't try to beat the traffic light because they know that it's unwise to do it. They are being rational. But in a world where there is a God, one of the things you must ask yourself, you know, brothers and sisters, is who created this world? And if God did create this world, is he, an, is, is he an irresponsible God? No, this God that created this world, he's looking and observing the injustice, you know, the wickedness, the, the, the corruption, all the things that are happening. Look at our country, Nigeria. If our politicians had known that a time will come where there are registration with the hospitals in the UK and in Germany and in Dubai and India would not avail for them. Don't you think that our medical facilities would have been much better? But they are irrational. The people that steal the money that should be used to build schools, to build roads, and use it to build bigger houses, and lock themselves inside houses. Don't you think they're being irrational? Because they have to drive on the same road. Now, this is what this generation is about. But the sermon, our exhortation, and our conversation today is not about this generation. It is about us who have been saved, who have received this gift of life. First John chapter 3, let's look at it and we'll see what it says. First John chapter 3 verse 1. First John 3 verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Look at this. It says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What manner of love that we should be called children of God. Every born-again Christian has a name, or rather has a title. You're called a child of God. Let me ask you, child of God, how can you be depressed? How can you be downcast? How can you be fearful? How can you be shaken when God has said, you are my son? When God has said, you are my daughter? When he has obtained? you know, uh, acquired and claimed you and giving you the right. The Bible says in John 1, 11, 12, it says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. You and I as believers today, we walk around the world and we carry upon us a legitimate title, a license that says, behold this one, behold that one, behold that one. Is my child. Now the Bible says what manner of love is this? It goes on and says. The second part of that verse 1. It says therefore the world does not know us. Why? It said because it did not know him. So even though we are carrying this exalted title. It says unfortunately the world is not celebrating us. Now how does this affect you and I today? 
Every Christian, everybody who is born again must not be concerned, must not be interested with the world celebrating him. You know, I, I saw something the Lord Jesus Christ said that was quite touching. I wish I had the reference, I would have given it to you. He said to the Jews, he said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, the leaders of the Jews, he said, how can you believe, that's believe in him, you who share honor amongst yourselves? He says, how can you believe? He was trying to say that your eyes are so consumed looking at your level. So if the Christian is living life, looking at who has made it and who hasn't made it, who is married and who is not married, who has money and who doesn't have money, who has all this and who has all of that, that person will find it difficult connecting with what God is saying to him. That is what the Bible is saying here. He's saying it does not yet, the world can know us. We are beyond that. We, 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 we are children of God. We are operating at another level. But if the believer does not know that, somebody watching me could be downcast now, not depressed, because he or she is not married. Somebody could be watching me now, he's downcast, because maybe at a particular age, you've not built a house. You keep watching me, and maybe you don't have a child, or you don't have children. You keep watching me, and maybe you're not, you're not as pretty as you think you are, as your friends, you know, you think your friends are. But your friends that you're looking at, you're looking at them with Photoshop pictures that you see on Facebook. And I bet you they don't look like that at all it's technology assistant but anyway you're you're looking at these things and you're beating yourself maybe you're not as fast maybe you're even moving but you're not as fast as you wanted to be and then you're being downcast but the bible is saying that the manner of love the father has bestowed upon us is that we are not he didn't say because we are the first finishers he didn't say because we married at 18 he didn't say because we have this he said why the father loves us that is a title on its own praise the lord somebody that is what he says the, the next line says behold now not tomorrow behold now we are what children of god now we are children of god King James will say, now are we children of God. Now, somebody said to himself, now I'm a child of God. Now I'm a child of God. Now I am complete. Now. But the Bible now goes and says something else. That's why this word of God has to be understood spirit to spirit. The next line says, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Can you see that? Do, do, can, can you ponder that? Ha, ha, look at what is going on here. It says, now we are children of God. Then the next line says, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So you must be able to separate yourself from the world who says sin is believing. The world who say where you are is where you, 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 you place yourself in. Where you are is your, your level. But the Bible is saying, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But what do we know? We know that when his word revealed what we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And verse 3 says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he's pure. That, now, now, if you remember what we learned on Sunday. When you see Jesus high and lifted. When you see him exalted. And the Bible is saying, this is now, this is your brother. I remember as a young person, very young then, and my, my brothers were schooling in the, in the United States. You know, those days when they sent their pictures standing in front of cars, whether it was their own or, you know, some kind of car lot, you carry those pictures with pride. Because when you presented those pictures, you said, this is my brother's picture. Already, you're not in America, 
you're not anywhere. But because this person on this picture is looking nice and is in the United States, is your brother. There is a sense of pride that comes upon you. Now, the child of God must begin to know what it means to be called a son of God and a brother to Jesus. It says, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know. He's our brother. Praise the Lord, somebody. So these are the things that when we begin to comprehend them, it doesn't put a chip on our shoulders, but it helps us understand what the Bible requires of us. We are called out. We are a people called out of this generation. So we have to be different. We have to be completely different. And why also that is important, like we saw in the case of the children of Israel in Egypt, it was their difference that saved them. If they did everything just like the Egyptians, they would be destroyed with the Egyptians. What am I trying to say? In these days where, you know, the shakings that are going on, a lot of people believe that the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is very near. I believe that also. But whether it is near or not, the Bible says, be ready for no man knows the hour nor the time. Praise the Lord. This essence of it is this. You and I must consciously ask ourselves how detached from the world am I? What is the judgment? What is my private judgment? Don't forget about what the pastor says or what your church says. What is my level of detachment from the world I'm in? Am I as excited of heaven as I should be? We live in a time where believers, amongst believers, heaven is not a popular topic. Why, why, why should it be when there are, you know, there are estates to be bought in, in Dubai, there are estates to be bought in Asokoro, everybody is talking about the things of this world. But don't forget that our Lord Jesus Christ says, I will show you where to be wealthy in. I, I will show you. He says, don't keep your wealth. Don't become wealthy. We are thieves still. Where, you know, depression and devaluation and all of that occur. And the value is lost. Where moth and rot destroy. He says, I show you where to be wealthy in heaven. For the believer, your concern, your valuation, your thinking must be more about heaven than on earth. The Bible says, set your mind on the things where? Above, where your life is. Your life is hid in Christ and it's above. Set your mind on the things above. Let me tell you a bit about heaven. You see, are you worried about pain? Are you worried about sorrow? Are you worried about sickness? Are you worried about so many things? There is a place that is prepared for the believer where none of such things will ever occur. It's a place called heaven. Praise the Lord. It is not just a song. It's not just a nice thing that we use when we sing. Heaven is real. Praise the Lord. And the converse is also very true. There's a place called hell. It's not hell, no. It's not the way that they've used it now to make statements. There's a real place that is hell. And let me inform you, maybe in another study we'll have time to look at it. Our Lord Jesus made more references to hell than he did to heaven. Why did he do that? Because he came to save us from hell. So he needed to help us appreciate how terrible a place it is. The Bible says, our Lord Jesus speaking says, there's a place where the fire does not quench. The fire is burning, but it does not stop. He says there's a place where the worm keeps eating, but he never is satisfied. He keeps eating and he keeps eating. He says there's a place of pain. Telling us about the story of Lazarus, you know, and the rich man. He said that place, people will beg 
to get a drop of water on their tongue and they'll never get it. He said that place, people will regret. I don't know if you have had any form of regret in life, but regret can be very painful. But for somebody who is alive, any regret you're having, today is the day of salvation. You can make a change and today will be a new day for you in the name of Jesus. But somebody that is in hell, his regret is permanent. Nothing can be done again. I also read somewhere, another person wrote, he said on earth, People uh, ignore when they hear the word repent. When they hear the word repent, it's, you know, it, 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 they push, shove it aside. They say, stop disturbing me, repent. What is that? You know, get away, all of that. But it said the people in hell are itching to hear that word one more. Repent. But they cannot have that chance. Because once the man or the woman or the person dies, it is sentenced. Wherever they've decided to go, it's their portion and they remain there. That will not be your portion in the name of Jesus. As you do make the right choice. So what am I saying? You must check your detachment. You must check your separation from this world. That will help you to know that I'm safe. Are you afraid of what the world is afraid of? Are you scared about what the world is scared of? In Isaiah chapter 8 is a passage we've looked at several times here. Isaiah chapter 8 verse, um, verse 11 if you can give me the living Bible, Isaiah eight eleven, we looked at it since this thing began. It's so important and it will help us. The, the Bible says, Isaiah eight 11, I'm reading New King James now. It says, for the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. That's what he's saying. He says, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. Nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. What is God saying here? He's calling you and I to be different. Different in perspective, different in judgment, different in response, different in everything. Now, can you give me the, the, the living Bible, please? It says you just have to be different. It says the Lord has said in strongest terms, do not under." Any circumstances go along with the plans of Judah to surrender to Syria and Israel. Today, I'm saying to myself, I'm saying to yourself, do not under any circumstances go along with the people of this world. There are many things that they say is okay. In fact, there are many things that they will look at you and say you're crazy for not agreeing with them. For not following them. We live in a time where premarital sex, even among so-called Christians, is becoming rampant. But it is sin. And the Bible says, fornicators, God will judge. You cannot toy with it. I, I said it recently. I don't know why that is so strong. But young lady, I want to beg you. The Lord loves you. And your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is bringing forth different manifest fruits from your life. You do not have to go and compromise to have a child. You should not do that. You should not also marry someone that you know is against God's will. Because like, you know, uh, my father told me, he said there is hell in this world when you marry the wrong person. That will not be your portion in the name of Jesus. But he says, don't go along with this world. The pressures of the people of this world, they don't push you to, to purity. They don't push you to God. They don't even have anything to do with your rank in the kingdom of God. Remember we said, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that what? We should be called. Did he say we should be called the married or the billionaires of God? No. It is, it is the perversion of the gospel that has begun to celebrate things in the church that ought not to be celebrated. And those things are what is causing a lot of this problem. 
A man is serving God and God gives him a church of maybe 50 people or 20 people or 100 people. But he's not okay. Why? Because people don't recognize him. He's not anointed because his church is not big. That is a lie of the devil. You're also a father and you're taking care of your home as best as you can. But you don't have excesses. You have to work for your money. And it's as though God is not answering your prayers. It doesn't matter. The life of a man is not measured. By the abundance of the things he possesses. That's not what your life consists of. Your life is about your place in God. Especially when you are a child of God. He says you are a royal priesthood. A chosen generation. A peculiar people. Praise the Lord. Uh, um, we, 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 we are on something. Uh, Isaiah 8 please. Let's go back to Isaiah 8. Sorry. Isaiah 8. Yes. Isaiah 8, 11, 12, 13. Quickly. Yes. Give, give me 12. Thank you. 12 says, do not say conspiracy concerning all that this will call a conspiracy. Nor be afraid of their threats. Nor be troubled. Now look at 13. 13 now says, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. He said, let him be what? Your fear and let him be your dread. This is one area where I'm so glad I belong to Jesus. Anybody glad he belongs to Jesus? He says in this area, what should you do? He said, let the Lord alone be your fear. So I tell you with all humility and carefulness, I'm not worried about COVID-19. Praise the Lord. The Bible says be anxious for what? Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. However, what should you do? In everything by what? Prayer and supplications with thanksgiving. What do you do? You make your request known to God. And what will happen? The peace of God. That is the portion of the believer. But when a Christian... Noun is worried and consumed and is fearful and is threatened about COVID-19. You see that he or she has stepped out of this chosen generation and has joined the perverse generation. May we all come out of that place in the name of Jesus. We cannot fear what they fear. Now, it doesn't mean that they are worse than us. No, it's just that we have a father. Remember our Lord Jesus teaching us. He said, after all these things, what? The Gentiles seek. So the father is aware that these things are happening. There is danger out there. There are unseen you know, organisms there. There are dangers out there. But he says, I don't want you to worry about them. Why? The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. The, he says, I don't want you to worry. What should you worry about? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What? And what will happen? He says, all these other things shall be added to you. Remember in this relationship, we are children of God. What does that make God? Somebody help me. If we are children of God, what does that make God? It makes God father of me. Somebody say, God is my father. Now, if you're a father, I'm a father here. My, my children don't know how much rent is. They don't know how much, you know, they don't bother about that. Why? Because they are father. But that's about those things. Now, you have a father as a child of God. And I beg you, step aside. Let your father take care of the things that only he can take care of. Praise the Lord. Uh, our time is gone. First uh, John 2, we refer to it already, 15 to se- uh, 17. He says to us, so what do we do? He says, don't attach. When he says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. You see, it, th- these are the things that make you and I able to be disconnected from this perverse generation. And then to enjoy the liberty we have in Christ. And then also to enjoy the union. Let, let me ask you, 
one of the things the child of God is, or rather one of the main things we are as a church, is the bride of Christ. I'm married. I believe quite a few of us here are married. Now, when a lady becomes married, there is something that happens. She comes out from some environment and enters into another environment. If that marriage is going to be successful, that person who is married must detach from where she's coming from. From friends, from associates, from schoolmates, from whatever it is. From village people, city people, town people, whatever. And be joined to her new husband. If she doesn't do that, that marriage will not know peace. The same thing, this is what the Bible is saying to us in 1 John 2, 15. It says, when you are a child of God, it says, please, don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world. Why? Remember, we learned a few weeks back that the first and greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord thy God, what? With all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Now, when you are to keep that commandment, which is the first and the most important. you find out that if you're doing this other one, like the Bible says, if you do that, the love of the Father is not in you. Now, there's something about that. It means that the Father withdraws. You might think you're loving both. I'm just trying to manage you. No, it won't work. The Father is jealous over you. He's jealous over you, not with any type of jealousy, but with godly jealousy. That is the jealousy that knows is in your best interest. Praise the Lord so much. So I I want us to take a prayer today because our time is going so quickly. I want us to take a prayer. And that prayer, we're going to take it because I know that God is doing something with the confusion And the shaking and the instability that is happening all around us. What should the child of God do? Maintain your difference. Maintain your difference. Maintain your difference. Don't don't, don't mix up with this world. Don't mix up with this generation. Don't let their fears become your fears. Don't also change your standards. You see, this is a time where so many things are happening at the same time. But you must live life as if nothing is happening. The Bible says, be instant in season and how and out of season it doesn't matter whether you're at home the whole day make sure that that home is an altar to jehovah it doesn't matter whether you're doing everything on your phone make sure that anything that does not glorify god will not be shown on that phone it doesn't matter whether you're at work or not at work or whatever make sure your faith and your expectation is still from god you will not readjust and come down to this generation you will not look back you will keep pressing forward in numbers chapter 14 Numbers 14, as we take the prayer. Very important. Something begins to happen there. In Numbers 14, the Lord was dealing with the children of Israel. And he was ready to bring them into the promised land. So he had sent the spies. They looked 12, went to, you know, 10 came back, said they're not able to, said they were able. And then they began to want to stone the, those uh, Moses and the spies who said they were able. God got angry and said, okay, is that what is going to happen? None of these people will enter into this promised land. But in verse 24, in verse 24, the, the, the Bible gives us an account. God here speaking by the voice of God. He said, but my servant Caleb, because he has what? A different spirit in him. This is what I'm looking for. You know why? Because God is making a separation. God is making a separation in what you view 
in what you hear, in what you say, in the meditations of your heart, in everything. God is making a separation. He, you see, that promised land that God had was reserved. He was going to bring people in there. But he said, this generation, I will wait for them. 40 years, they will kill themselves. They will all die off. But the person I'm going to bring in is one of them, he says to us, is Caleb. Why? He said he has a different spirit. That's what Peter was telling us in Acts chapter 2. He said this one was out. Even though he was in their midst, he was totally different. And time will fail me to take you through the scriptures that every man that God dealt with and did major things, accomplished major things, had the same mindset. David, when David appeared on the scene, when Goliath was threatening the nation of Israel, everybody would run back and tell a story of Goliath. But David had a different spirit. When he saw Goliath, he didn't say, this one is so big. All he said was that, who is this? Not minding his sight. Uncircumcised Philistine to stand here and defy the armies of the living God. It was a different spirit. So in our time, in our nation, in our world, in all that we're doing, it, I want you to desire earnestly. It says of this Caleb, he has a different spirit. And look at the testimony. He says, I, God, will bring him into the land. I want you to go to the Lord. Lord, give me that spirit that will enable me to be brought into the land. I want to be brought into the fullness of what you have saved me for, of what you have called me to of what you have delivered me from you have called me your child and you have a plan for me the bible says we are his chosen generation a royal priest we have been called forth out of darkness there is a reason he called me forth today i'm desiring lord have mercy on me give me that spirit that is different let me be separate from sinners separate from unbelievers separate from those who don't want to take you seriously the bible says blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in, uh, are the point spirit. There's a blessedness I want to attain to. Lord, give it to me. Lord, help me. I want you to make that prayer. As you do that, God is saying, I will bring you into the land. I will preserve you. I will prosper you. I will see to your well-being. I will make sure you finish well. I will make sure your joy remains. I will make sure that you will end well. Father, we give you the praise. And we give you the glory. Thank you for the entrance of your word. We trust that it has brought light and understanding. And let grace mix with this word and bring result in the lives of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. See you on Sunday. God bless you. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Ike Naokeke of the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Barnex Guarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashinkari, Abuja. For telephone 09-290-9000 or 0703-158-404. You can find us online at www that the Father's Church Online dot org. God bless you.